are really hers. Yeah. How did you get them? She gave them to me. Did you? No. No, Jake. She's crying for you. I told her you asked about it, right? The girl freaked. She had a hissy. She thinks you're the cat's meow. <laughs> really? She came up to me in the gym tonight. She looked at me like I was a leper. Girls will do that, Jake, you know? You see, they know guys are like in perpetual heat, right? They know this shit, and they enjoy pumping us up. It's pure power politics. <laughs> I'm telling you. I thought she hated my guts. Games, Jake. Silly, torturous games. You know, times a week I go without lunch because some bitch borrows my lunch money. You know, any halfway decent girl can rob me. Blind! Because I'm too torqued up to say no. It's heinous. Sorry. You better not be dicking me around. Be a major downer to try and get together with this girl and find out she really does think I'm a slime. Jake, would I dick you? Let me put it to you this way. What happens to me if I dick you? <laughs> I'll kick your ass. <laughs> right. So why would I lie? But I feel compelled to mention to you, Jake. I mean, if all you want off the girl is a piece of ass, I mean, I'll either do it myself or get someone bigger than me to kick your ass. I mean, not many girls in contemporary American society today would give their own away to help a geek like me. I can get a piece of ass anytime I want. Shit, I got Carla in the bedroom right now, passed out cold. I could violate her ten different ways if I wanted to. What are you waiting for? I don't know. She's beautiful and she's built and all that. I'm just not interested anymore. Does that really matter, guy? Yeah, it matters. She's totally insensitive. Look what she did to my house. She didn't know shit about love. I think she cares about his partying. I want a serious girlfriend. Somebody I can love. It's gonna love me back. Is that psycho? It's beautiful, Jake. You know, I think a ton of guys feel the same way as you do. Really? Yeah, it's just they don't. They don't have the balls to admit. You know what I mean? I mean, they're just. They're wimps. Samantha is, uh, she's really special, you know? Make a deal with you. Let me keep these. I'll let you take Carolyn home. But you gotta make sure she gets home. You can't leave her in some parking lot somewhere. Okay? Jake, I'm only a freshman. So? She's so blitz, she won't know the difference. Jake, I don't have a car. You can take mine. Jake, I don't have a license. I trust you. Jake, I'd love to. I can't. One person? You sure? Positive. Welcome to the show. Good thing about doing the podcast at home is that you never know who's going to stop by. <laughs> is what I would have said if somebody was going to stop by, but they're not. However, those words mean a lot more now, and I'll tell you all of it and why right after the opening credits.
what I had more to say there, but I, I, I didn't. So I just uh, let it go and finish the opening credits so we can get down to business. Get down to business in an all-new podcast. Uh, welcome to the month of June. Uh, almost over, actually. Almost July. We're just around June. Taping on the 21st, which is a Wednesday. Come out on Thursday. We're back to our regular schedule. Just can't seem to get on another schedule except this. I don't know why. Even when there's no football or anything, I just like taping on Wednesdays and putting it out on Thursdays. What can I do? What can I do? That's the way it is. That's the way I like it. And when I record ahead, it's nice. But, you know, like we were recorded last week, and we didn't, we didn't know who won the Tonys. We were talking about the Tonys. Can we talk about the Tonys like a fourth week in a row? No, we shouldn't. But Ben Platt did win. We need to discuss that just for a second, just for a second, because, you know, it happened. It was wonderful because... You know, obviously nobody that, you know, listens to our show was watching, but uh, well, maybe they were. But I'm just saying you could see by the amount of applause that this is not I was not joking around. I mean, this kid was the shit. And you could tell by the audience reaction and the people winning around him. It's all it's all him. I'll tell you this. You haven't. Uh, the sound hasn't gone off. I'm just uh, waiting for this to finish, as I always do. The uh, guy, the, the woman that played his mother, never would have won if it wasn't for his performance. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm going to let it go. I know I've talked too much about Dear Evan Hansen and Ben Platt, but like I've said a million times, a performance like this comes along once in a lifetime. And technically, as a man in a modern-day musical, it's never come around before. Unless, you know, in a fluff musical, but that doesn't count. So I'm just saying, you don't see it very often. You can't even get tickets. My sister's trying to get tickets to take her kids. and You just you can't get them. He's leaving in November. It's just over. Nobody's going to get to see it if you haven't seen it already. And the lucky people that do get tickets, and I'm telling you, you know, if you like acting and you really don't care about it, I mean, just take, take away the fact that it's a musical. I mean, I'm just saying, if you like good acting and, and you like something just completely compelling, well, this is the show for you. God damn it. All right, enough of... Ben Platt, enough of Dear Evan Hansen. I, we, we, we have to be done with it, right? I can't stop talking about it in my personal life, so it's hard not to talk about it on the podcast. I can't even believe I opened with that. I didn't even have it on my list. But I'm pretty sure we didn't talk about it at all because, uh, you know, but we've been away. It seems. It seems we've been away. We've been not away, but I just haven't been current with the podcast, but now we are. And here we are, and a lot has happened. There's a lot we have to get to. So, um, where to begin? And there is a lot to say. That's why I kind of... I, uh, Irene Bremis was supposed to be my guest today, uh, but she's just a kooky nutcase. Again, because we're both roasting Mike Bichetti tomorrow. No, no. She's roasting in a roast battle with Mike Bichetti at the New York Comedy Club tomorrow. I'm one of the judges. And quite frankly, I really... I, I really want to have nothing to do with Bichetti anymore. I'm kind of done... I know Artie's done. I've just kind of had it. Um, I, I don't know why. I, I, I do love the kid. Maybe my mind will change when I see him, but I just, I don't know. You know, I'm done. The guy almost died. It's, it's, it's over. It's like not funny anymore or anything, but I'm going to do this one last thing because Emilio from the New York Comedy Club asked me to do it, and I like him very much, and I want to help him. I'm having some iced coffee today. Iced coffee, something I usually never drink. But at, uh, I was really thirsty. I, had, I went to that uh, melt shop today, and I had a buffalo chicken grilled cheese, the, the unkosher plate, and then, like, loaded tater tots. Oh, my God. Something I can only have if I know I'm coming home and doing the podcast by myself. 
which I did. Also, I caught a cold kind of. I mean, it's finishing. It was like a big, quick 48-hour one. Uh, but from too much partying over the weekend, which I'll get to in a second. Let's just start from the beginning of where we left you. Now, on Friday, uh, after the last podcast, which was when I taped the podcast last week, I hadn't done this, but I went to the reading, keeping with our Broadway theme, I went to the reading of Tootsie, the Broadway musical, the one I am... Uh, you know, possibly getting a, 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 a very uh, at least getting a chance to read, which I just found out now for absolutely the Bill Murray part in Tootsie. It's no joke. It's going to happen. They're giving me an opportunity. You know, it's a chance. It's a chance. It's cool. So I saw the reading. I saw the guy playing it in the reading. It's just a reading. So there's not cast or anything. And he wasn't that good. So there's no reason I can't. Uh, I said, you know, I talked to the guy that wrote the show and and I've met him before. And my friend bought me in, and we agreed, like, um, yeah, I think you can do better. And he thinks I'd be funny in it. And I'm telling you, it's perfect for me. I don't have to give anything away, um, but I'm just saying it's perfect. It's just funny lines. Uh, 30 seconds, for real, of singing. 30 seconds of singing one song, and then I get interrupted by the agent. It's perfect. Uh, the only flaw was, I think, uh, in the stage direction. Like I said, it was a reading, but it was a full reading. It wasn't like Sarah's play. The orchestra was there, and they all knew the songs. You know, the, the chorus was there. They had all rehearsed. There was just no dancing and no costume changes. Otherwise, it was completely rehearsed and a real live reading for the investors and me, your pal, Dave Jessica. I, I know. I can't even believe it. I'm becoming a major Broadway, uh, you know, wannabe, I guess. or what I, No, I've always been a wannabe, but I'm a, I'm a player. I'm a player all of a sudden. We'll see. We'll see. But I'll tell you something. I'll tell you this. After watching the Tonys, for what they nominate for, if I actually get this part, I don't think there's any way I'm not nominated for a Tony. I don't think there's any way I'm not nominated. I don't know who would beat. I don't know who would. I can see who could beat me to win, but I don't see how I wouldn't be nominated if I get this role. It's a very big part, and uh, I think it's age appropriate. Maybe I'm eight years too old, maybe ten. I don't know, but I think I could pull it off. You know, give me a wig. I mean, nobody's got no difference. Who's got another difference? It's perfect. My name is Michael Dorsey. The guy playing Michael Dorsey was okay. He was okay. I don't know if he's the end all. The girl that played Sandy, she was terrific. And Richard Kind, our good friend Richard Kind. You know that guy who plays Larry's cousin on Curb Your Enthusiasm? He's hilarious. He's in everything. He was playing the agent. He was hilarious. And I've, you know, had many encounters with him. He was so funny. He, um, I don't, you know, I mean, what am I giving it away? Who cares, right? But he does it when when he finds out uh, in this particular version, when he finds out that uh, Michael is Dorothy, the slow burn he does when he finds out is one of the funniest moments you'll ever see on Broadway. And if, even if I could play that part, it would be epic. And people would, you know, I mean, he milked it for like every minute that it was worth. And it was one of those things where he's sitting there and he's just waiting and you're laughing. And then he waits so long, you start laughing again, and he, he did it exactly right. He's a very good actor and a very interesting guy. But um, So I don't know, you know. Oh, so what I was saying in the stage direction is it says, Jeff lifts up, uh, so, you know, so that he gets a girl and lifts her up. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> that might be the one uh, flaw. <laughs> it's like I might have to lift up a woman. I haven't lifted up a woman in like 20 years. Uh, and this 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 was not a this was not a petite girl. It was not a petite girl. You know what I'm saying? 
There's a girl in my office who's about her size, so I asked if I could lift her up, but apparently that's some sort of harassment or something these days. You know, just to practice if I could. Um, so it, it'll be, I was thinking it'll be really funny because I'm going to, you know, if I get the part, I'm going to follow this girl around. Like, you know, she'll be at like the craft service table. I'm like, you, you can eat, eat that, that, that whole thing. I think they already had kind of breakfast. I don't think you need a mid. Yeah, I'm going to be very concentrating. Once you're like in between shows, like matinee to the thing, you know, everybody's like, hey, we should all go out for a little something to eat. Like, uh, you guys want to get pasta? I'll be like, uh, why don't you and I just go get a salad? It'll be funny because it'll make me thinner. Concentrating on knowing I have to lift her up, I'll get thinner. That's, is that a horrible thing to say? It's just kind of funny, right? It's funny. I wouldn't obviously do that, or would I? Anyway, so that's exciting. And uh, today I just read in the post that our good friend Dave Bryan from Bon Jovi, who I am uh, quite close with, is doing another musical on Broadway called uh, Diana, which is based on Princess Diana. And uh, they're having a reading of that in July. Um, if I attend that, that would be my third Broadway show reading in two months. And then it's like you have to think like something is happening, right? If, if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. But uh, I would certainly think it's like weird that all of a sudden after all these years, I start going to go to three Broadway readings in two months. That's like so weird. Something's got to happen, right? I got to get something. One would think. I go back to, and I'm sorry, I keep sniffling, but um, I always think about Sigourney Weaver uh, in the Oscars. Let's try 86, maybe 86. Still makes me mad to this day. Sigourney Weaver. And uh, you know what? Uh, again, the Oscars are such a bag of shit and the people that. Uh, vote and elect and nominate are such bags of shit. In 1986, Sigourney Weaver did what no other human being on the planet has ever done in one year, playing two of the most diverse female empowering parts of, our, of, of, of ever, two completely different, very female empowered parts. We are talking about her villainous character, supporting character, in Working Girl, where she was brilliant. You know, you hate her because she's fucking good as, uh, you know, the uh, antagon the antagonist, is that the right word, to uh, Melanie Griffith and, uh, and, and Harrison Ford. Did I get the antagonist? Oh, my God, I'm an idiot. Uh, well, you know I always have trouble with those pronunciations. Uh, in a brilliant, nominated, worthy role. But that same year... She's also Ripley in Aliens, Aliens, the sequel, nominated for Best Lead Actress in the one of the bad, the first badass performance by a woman. You take your Wonder Woman and shove it up your ass when Sigourney Weaver was the first badass individual to play a kick-ass woman ever. I'm not talking about television. I'm talking about ever. Unless you can tell me something else. Sigourney Weaver, but I mean, we all, every dude loves the movie Aliens, and that's a female badass hero, heroine. And uh, she did the role perfect. I mean, perfect. And, and she was great. And she was nominated for Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress. She won none of them. And that is a travesty. 
It really is. I, I don't know who she lost to. Let's, why don't we take a quick look? Okay, wait. I just put... All right, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. It's in my... Okay, I, I had it half right. I had it half right. Um, uh, she was nominated for Aliens. She lost... To, oh, Jesus Christ. You know what? You know what she you know who she lost out to? You know who she lost are you ready? Are you sitting down? Have you had enough to have you had okay. She was not nominated for both parts in nineteen eighty six. She was nominated for Alan. She lost out to Marley Maitland and Children of a Lesser God. Are you kidding me? Oh, that was some performance. Well, let's see her repeat that performance. It was okay. Sigourney Weaver was badass. And I say if you really want to empower women, then give her that Oscar because she was amazing. All right, all right, all right. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Okay, so it was the, uh, I guess it was in 89, she lost both, and it, it wasn't that, she, in, it was, um, yeah, 88, Working Girl, she was nominated for Working Girl, lost to Gina Davis in The Accidental Tourist, that's a bag of shit, nobody gives a shit about that uh, movie that's never on like, cable or anything, because it sucks, but she was nominated for Gorillas in the Mist, and lost out to Jodie Foster and the accused. Well, what are you going to do about that? Jodie Foster did a pretty good job, so we can let it go. Uh, Melanie Griffiths was nominated for Best Actress in Working Girl. She lost out to Jodie Foster. So, and Sigourney Weaver, Girls in the Mist, it's not her, her best you know, deals anyway, so it doesn't matter. I don't think she ever won, but Jesus Christ, you're nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, and you lose both. They, don't give it to Gina Davis. Give it to Sigourney Weaver for Working Girl because she won. She should have won for Aliens, just the way you gave it to Cher for Moonstruck, who should have won for Silkwood. Jeremy Irons, who won for Reversal of Fortune, who should have won for, oh, damn it, what's the one with the twins? You know what I'm talking about. Well, I can't think, but the one before, and that happens a lot where some, we've talked about it a hundred times where somebody wins the next year, and she should have won because Aliens is just so badass. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Give it to Jodie Foster, you know, playing a rape victim, whatever. How many times are we going to give it to girls like that when Sigourney Weaver is pulling something that no one's ever seen the likes of before? I mean, really, you could do I gotta bring up Ben Platt again? I'm telling you, you never seen it before. At least he got he, he got it. You know, you know, they, they, they got it. They got it right this time. So it's OK. Look at me. I'm such a mess. I am just so I like to see people get what they deserve if they deserve it when you see a performance like that. You dudes all know that Sigourney Weaver was ridiculous kick-ass in Aliens. I'm just trying to see if she ever won. I don't think she ever won. Did she ever win anything? I don't think she won uh, an Academy Award. She was just nominated. Oh, look at this. She was nominated for Academy Award for Best Actress for Alien 3, too. Wait, and Alien Resurrect? No, no, that can't be right. Mm. No, I'm wrong. Just Aliens. Just Aliens. But I guess she never won. Well, that is just not right. Uh, enough of that. Oh, my God. I cut way off track again, as usual. Um, all right. Let's get into... Uh, on last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, I was in Atlantic City opening for Artie. Let's discuss. You've probably seen a little bit of on Twitter. It was a bad night for me. I got booed off stage. It was pretty fucking bad. I mean, it was really bad. <laughs> Bad, but it was still funny. Like, you know, I mean, I was laughing about it. And I was laughing about it outside. You know, I mean, I was bad. I was bad. I knew I was going to be bad. Uh, I, I just, you know, I have nights like this sometimes. People were yelling stuff from the stage. It wasn't that bad, but people were just really heckling me and giving me a lot of shit. And uh, 
I'm not sure how I lost the audience, but I guess I did. And there was just a couple of people. They were, they were what were they booing at? I mentioned Bill Cosby. They started booing. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'll tell you something. Um, I don't know. And there was some douchebag in the audience who said he was uh, on the helicopter with Artie in Afghanistan. But I think we've done some research and found out that wasn't true. And he said he was a soldier. And then I saw people after the show, and they were saying, yeah, that guy. But everybody was very – that's what I knew. I knew when I'd see people out in the casino, they'd be very nice, and no one would actually um, be mean. And they were, and everybody was nice, and we all had a good laugh about it. Nobody cares. And Russ uh, Maneev had the best statement of um, of the night and just said, uh, you know, just got heard more booze than a haunted house, uh, which was really funny. And uh, Dan captured that in the green room in a photo. And it was funny, and, and I, I really don't care. It really didn't bother me. Like, it was just embarrassing when I saw my friends. Like, I met some new friends that I was, that I hung out, and they had just seen me for the first time. And then I hung out with them this week, and we had a great time. Because I, I, I don't know. It just didn't bother me that much. I know it should, but it didn't because there was something funny about it. I mean, I guess I know I can do better, and, you know, it's not the first time it's happened, unfortunately, but... I just kept going. I just kept uh, putting it out until I uh, got off. And it's funny. My friend um, Dave Elliott told me, he's like, no, I liked your last joke. Like, he remembered it. And I'm like, you did? I was just rushing it to get off stage. And he goes, no, that I really liked that. So it, I don't know. You know, whatever. I know it was a bad set. Um, it's just kind of funny. But I still had a good time. And already left the nicest message. He goes, just guy, you always make me laugh. He, he didn't care. And he offered me all this money. And I was just like, dude, I, I, can't, even, I can't even accept that money. Because... <laughs> And that was before I went on. I was just like, dude, I'm doing like 10 minutes. Uh, you're out of your mind. But uh, I still had a great time. Mm. Made more money at three-card poker. That game's amazing. And that's why I was like, why is everybody booing? I just told you that you'll win money if you play three-card poker. Nobody listened. Then the next day, in the morning, I was playing three-card poker. And they're like, oh, we saw your show last night. And I apologized. And then they... Um, I don't know, but everybody was really nice. And, you know, after the show, I met a kid downstairs who was very nice, very angry at the guy that said he was a soldier because his dad was in Vietnam. And he's like, soldiers don't usually yell out they're, they're a soldier. That's why we think it's, he's calling bullshit. But everybody was really nice. Uh, a couple people that knew me from the podcast and stuff like that. So uh, everybody was real sweet. It didn't matter. It was just a couple of douchebags in front and... That happens, and like I said, I knew if I saw them outside, they'd probably apologize, and we'd all have a big laugh, because I really just don't give a shit. I really don't. Like, obviously, I do, but I also don't, and I know it was funny for my friends, and, you know, I am there to make people laugh, and if that's the way I made people laugh, then I guess so be it, right? I mean, I don't know if they worry. They weren't paying to see me. They were there to see Artie, and I think they really enjoyed his show, and that's the important thing. But uh, I had a really good time with these uh, new friends, uh, the Weissmans, uh, and uh, my, our, our good friend Steve Fabricant, who's the manager of the uh, Comedy Cellar. Uh, and we all just played cards. And so Artie said he was going to come down. He's like, oh, let's play craps. Let's play craps. And he goes, I'm just going to go up and take a shower. And that's when I knew I was never going to see him again. So everybody's like, well, should we wait for him? I'm like, are you crazy? And he, he never came down. I think he just bought a dealer to his room or something. I, I don't know. I really don't know what happened. Uh I just know he seemed like he was in a pretty good mood, so uh, that's always good. And he really is just um, a sweetheart and a half. So I had a good time, and I love opening for him. And we are working together again, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, only because I set this one up as a favor to the New York Comedy Club on August 19th in Fairfield, Connecticut at the Fairfield Comedy Club. 
I will be opening for Artie. It's just me and Artie, so by then I better be prepared or something. The funny thing is, though, on Wednesday, this uh, past Wednesday, uh, June 14th, I did my charity event at Gotham Comedy Club, which I uh, announced over the air. You're all welcome to come to. Um, a terrific benefit for Big Brothers Big Sisters that I put together. Now, here is what happened. Now, the lineup was Sam Morell. Well, here, here was the... The lineup, I had the lineup perfect. Sam Morell was going to close the show. Everybody had conflicts. I don't know how that woman, Esty, deals with that, except for the fact that, because everybody's got conflicts. It's very difficult to schedule a show where everybody's going back and forth. Of course, I have to deal with all their conflicts just basically at the cellar. So I had Sam Morell. I wanted him to close the show, but he, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, or did I want... No, I wanted Greer to close the show, Greer Barnes. But he, he said no. And then I said, well, then can you open the show? And then he said no. So I, I don't know what his story was. Then I wanted Sam to close the show. But he was like, dude, I got to leave early in the morning. And I said, can you open the show? So he opened the show. Then I was going to have Michelle Wolf close the show, but uh, which was fine. And that was the plan. And Tom Cotter and Rachel in the middle. And that's a very strong show. Uh, and this girl, Emily McNamara, was going to sing this Mariah Carey song, which didn't really work, and I didn't think it would because people were confused, but I always try a little something different just to uh, break it up a little bit. So uh, all the scheduling got all fakakta because uh, the guy in the booth, after I got off stage and did my, my 15 minutes, I did 15 minutes, and it went fine. It went great. It was weird. Like, I was very uptight after what had happened the Saturday before. But I kind of worked on it. And in the morning, I came up with something I was very pleased with that I felt could work. And it did work. And I was very confident with the material. It was good enough for this show. I got off stage. I brought up Sam. I go into the booth. The guy goes, I got some good news and some bad news. And he goes, I go, what's the good news? He goes, the good news is Jerry Seinfeld is stopping by. The bad news is I got to give Sam the light at 8. And you got to bring him up. I'm like, what, what, what's the bad news? You know, it's bad news for Sam. I felt horrible because I wanted Sam to do 20 minutes. But Sam understood. He knows how it works. Plus, Seinfeld is apparently his hero. So he was thrilled. And I'm like, this is fantastic because I'm going to look like a hero because no one in the audience knows people at my work, the, the Big Brothers Big Sisters. Nobody knows. I gave this girl, the president of Big Brothers Big Sisters, had a class. She had a business class. I gave her so much shit for not being there. She goes, fine, I'm missing my class, so I'm coming down. After Sam gets up on stage, they give him the light. He comes off and goes, thank you, Sam. They tell me exactly what to say. say, uh, some, the, the, beauty, the beautiful thing about work, and I'm very calm. The beautiful thing about working at the Gotham Comedy Club is you just never know who's going to stop by. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Seinfeld. And I say, and people start laughing. They're not even applauding, and the guy's walking in because they absolutely in their wildest dreams, think it's a joke. He comes in, takes off his hat, and it was as if the Beatles had gone on the Ed Sullivan show in 1964. There were screams, screams. I had never seen anything like it. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Screams, I tell you, screams. Uh, the, the people were going crazy. And he did 20 minutes, and it threw off my scheduling, but so what? And I'm taking full credit for it, because why shouldn't I? As far as everybody's concerned, I knew about it a day and a half beforehand. And uh, it was, I mean, it certainly looked like we were friends. I know he doesn't like his hand shaking, but I'm the MC, and I'm going to shake his hand, goddammit. 
I shook his hand when he came on. I shook his hand when he go up. And then I go, thank you, Jerry. Jerry Seinfeld, everybody. How about uh, made a little noise in the business? Uh, <laughs> you know, then, then, then I got to do some time in between before I bring Greer on, who may be the only person who can follow, you know, somebody like a Seinfeld. Um, because he's, you know, really, really strong. And he did a great job after. But it was funny. I had to do like a little bit of time in between because I'm like, all right. Let's just process this because the crowd was just going crazy. They were going crazy. They couldn't even believe what they just saw. And you know what? What? What a there's not a better night that that could have happened when people are paying sixty dollars a ticket. Right then, it's a strong show anyway. But right then and there, you get your money's worth. Unbelievable. There is not one person in that audience who was disappointed. Who could possibly be disappointed with a stop by like that with a walk on? It was unbelievable. But it's so funny. That he's so famous. Because if it wasn't for that TV show, he'd probably be like the hackiest guys. Because he's still doing the same stuff. But because of that TV show, nobody gives a shit. He's always like, what do you do? You get onto a train. You get onto a train, then you got to get off a train. But you're not, you're not on top of the train. Well, you get on the train. You're on the train. You're not on top of it. You can get onto a train, get off the train. But you get into a cab. Then you get out of a cab. You take an Uber. Why do we have these different terms? For these particular vehicles. But the audience loved every minute of it. Who cares? And then Greer was like, really, like people told me later, like, boy, Greer was the best. Like, it's amazing. He was able to follow Seinfeld because I don't even know what he's doing. I never get to listen to anybody, but I know they love the show. Then I had to switch and put Michelle. I put Rachel up next. She, she did great. And then I put Michelle up next. I wanted her to close the show, but she had a 1040 spot, which would have been perfect for her to close the show if Seinfeld hadn't kind of bumped everything. Not complaining. And then Tom Cotter went last, which wasn't the right move for him because he's a different kind of act for this particular show. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I like him so much. And uh, I, you know, I hated giving him the last spot. He was very worried. And uh, I know the president likes him a lot, too. So uh, but still a solid show. And everybody was so pleased. And so was I, because I put together, you know, I will be known for putting together one of the best benefit shows we've had. I think that's our fourth one. And that one was just a classic, let alone I knew it was a strong show. I knew I was putting together one of the strongest shows I've ever put together with people that, you know, weren't the headliners. It wasn't Dave Attell, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, Jim Gaffigan or people like that. You know, these are up and comers who were just as good as those guys, you know, who I told these people who aren't in comedy, who aren't like the people who listen to this show, uh, you know, that the, you know, you don't know them yet, but you will in like a year. And now it turns out, you know, Sam's got a big new show on MSG uh, uh, called People That Talk Sports. I think I'm going to be on the show. Uh, Michelle Wolf's got a brand new HBO special. So we hit him just at the right time. It was really perfect. And uh, what a truly great night. What a great night. Um, uh, right, right, right. Uh, you know what? Um, yeah, that was great. I mean, I got to tell you, I was buzzing that whole week after that. It was like really, really terrific. And uh, so then, um, so Friday night uh, was the beginning of Fabricow 2017. Now, Fabricow 2017 is me, Dave Juskow, and Steve Fabricant. We combined our names. Fabricow 2017. Uh, which was Tom Petty on Friday at the Prudential Center, Hall and Oates on Saturday at the Prudential Center. Uh, we had the suites, so we invited like ten to twelve people each night, 
and had like a celebration. Now, it wasn't free liquor or food because my cousin isn't there who owns the place. So we had to buy our own stuff. But it was still really fun, a little pricey. But we were all together in a suite, so it was beautiful. And I got hammered each night, which is why I think I caught something on Sunday because I was pretty hungover. But what a great time was had. So, so Tom Petty is first, and Joe Walsh opens for him, and he was good. But Tom Petty was, was very good. But I question his set list, which I don't think was good. But the more I think about it, I don't know, maybe he was planning on people taking a bathroom break. See, we don't need a break because we're in the suite, so we can go whenever we want. But I question his set list. Uh, now, I put together what I think is, well, I don't know which to go over first. Um, see, to me, if I was doing a concert and I was like a rock and roll star from the 80s or something, everything would be about the opening. You, you would just want to recreate the opening. The opening, like we did with last year, with the, last week with The weekend. I mean, that, that was terrific, right? Because, uh, you know, we, we had the... Uh, we had this part, remember? This was the opening to the weekend. How could you forget this? Hey, so <laughs> Let's just do last week's podcast again. Hey. Now, this is great opening for a stadium. You know, this is good stuff, and that made it, you know, it, it gets exciting, and people get excited about it. And uh, it's great, and that's what you want to do. But so I question all his his choice, and especially the opening, and maybe not the encore opening. But this is this is what he opened with. Let's see if I can get it here. It's too mellow. That's what you're opening with? Eh. You know what I'm saying? After the epic, uh, the week, so the weekend's doing a better opening? Is he ever going to sing? I think that's a horrible choice. I think that's a horrible choice for the opening. I say for the opening, um... You open with, oh, let me uh, expand this so I can see what I have. I say you open with, the. I have two choices. I think this one. Right? This isn't running down a dream. You want to save that up. How do you not open with this? You know what I'm saying? It's more, this would get people... We'll talk on the streets as you make this, this seems more like an opening song. Maybe he can't sing it anymore. Alright, that's what I say you open with instead of what he did, right? So his set list was that one we played first, Mary Jane's Last Dance. That's fine after you start it. Uh, you don't know how it feels. Uh, how's that one go? It's uh... 
my God, right? That's uh, I mean, listen, if, when you get the forgotten man, I don't even know. But then and then you get into, uh, you know, my well, l- let me just run down the set list. Well, then you go down to my OK, we'll do it like this. Um, this is my favorite song. So he plays this fifth. And that's that's the perfect thing. But you could even choose this for an opening song because people would be going crazy. But I love this one. open with this but you know it's a little too mellow I say you open with that one I said and then but this was cool it came up about fifth and those synthesizers are awesome it's quite quite a departure for Tom Petty when it came out doing the uh, harmonies. Uh, then, then, see, well, I have other choice, but uh, you see, the, the, the main song that everybody's kind of waiting for, I you know, I, I would have ended with, oh, okay, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure how to do it when I just uh, go with it and play it or whether we do it, but this is what he played after that. This is the best. Like, this is the one everybody, like, this... This is everybody's favorite song, and you're singing along with it. So, yeah, you could put it in the middle because everybody's excited, right? Well, this is probably the best song he's ever written. People love it. Down. It's easy to sing along to. Everybody was having a great time. And it's an anthem song, you know. It's what you want in the arena. It's perfect. I mean, everybody's singing. Everybody knows it. Terrific. But you could encore with this one, you know. But no, it's good to have in the middle. I think this one was appropriately placed. I think that one was, was, uh, that's that's probably the right way to go. Uh, Then free fall. And right, so he goes, uh, you got lucky. I won't back down in free fall. That's great. One, two, three. Everybody loves Free Fallen. Then, then Walls, I, I don't know, that's off like a newer album, nobody cares. And then Don't Come Around Here No More, which is awesome, right? Everybody's looking forward to that, and that's rocking. But then he's got three that suck, which uh, now I'm thinking maybe it, he was doing it so you can take a bathroom break. Maybe he knows. I'll never forget when I saw Steely Dan, and they play all of Walter Becker's uh, solo tunes so you can go to the bathroom. I, maybe that's his plan. It's good to be the king crawling back to you and wildflowers. No one cares. I mean, you want to have the audience sit down and, and politely clap, then sing those three songs. Maybe that's the bathroom break. But I don't think so because then he plays Learning to Fly that everybody loves, but then You're So Bad, I Should Have Known It, and then finally Refugee, and he ends with, uh, you know, the classic... 
I'm sorry, I thought I had it. That's why, but I, I do kind of have it. He uh, ends with um, you know this one, which is uh, the, the perfect one to end with, really. But you could also encore with it. Oh, I don't have it. Sorry, uh, it's running down a dream. So sorry, I thought I, I could have sworn I uh, recorded it just so we could hear it because uh, that that first part is unbelievable. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, uh, so he ends with that, and then he encores with uh, You Wreck Me, which um, at first I didn't like the idea, but it's not horrible. I don't know if it's a opening encore song, you know what I'm saying? It's like kind of a... I disagree with the placement. I, I don't think that's how you come back and do an encore. And then, of course, um, you know, he ended with, of course, uh, you know, the, the one everybody was waiting for. <laughs> Going all the way back to 1982, here from Fast Times and Richmond High, here from Tom Petty and the Heartbreak, here you, know, you might remember this one from Silence of the Lambs. Got all the way back to 1991. Here's Tom Petty and Harper. Here's American Girl. And that, that, that's the perfect way to end the show. Everybody's waiting for it. Everybody loves it. Everybody knew he was going to play it last. Does sound like Dylan. Yeah, I want a big bag, small fries, and a chocolate shake. That's Bob Dylan ordering at a McDonald's. It's a classic. The audience go crazy there. We all know the words last all night. So this, what I suggest, there's a couple other songs. I would have suggest doing, you know, I want the hits. And I don't want any slow points. Why would I want slow points? And there's a bunch of slow points, but maybe that's his thing. But I would have, um, I wouldn't have opened with that song. I would have opened like what I said, which was, uh, uh, I need to know. And... You know, I think he, let's see, uh, what about this one? What about this one? He didn't play this one. With all that crap, he could have played this one. It's a classic. Oh. You know, somewhere in the middle. Somewhere, somewhere what In the middle. Too slow? Maybe right after you got lucky, you know, to kind of mellow it out. This one, what about this one? He didn't do this one. What about this one? Skip all that junk he did in the middle. Yeah, 
I'm just saying that I think these would have been better choices. And uh, even this one, which is uh, from a kind of a later album, but um, I, I, I like this one because it... Uh, I, I don't hate it, but I mean, you know, some of the ones he was playing, I was like, I've never heard of these songs before. This was more late, uh, maybe late 80s. But this seems more like an arena song, you know? I think people would have dug it. Also, one of the lines is, take back Joe Piscopo. That's really the only reason I, uh, let's see if we can, should we, is it worth finding? I don't know. Take back Joe <laughs> I found it. That's uh, why. And you know what? I was thinking too, if you're doing, you know, people are like, no, no, this is just the stuff he's doing with the Heartbreakers. Well, he did three songs off his solo album, which of course, Full Moon Fever, which is the greatest album he ever recorded, which is the reason everybody's there. Um, I mean, I know he did a lot of other stuff, but that album just put him into another stratosphere of unbelievableness. But <clears throat> I think he could have even done this one from because he kind of wrote this one with the Traveling Wilburys. And if you got to pick one, I mean, why not do the song? It's not the best song, but I still say it's better than the ones he did. And this is one of those ones where everybody can sing along. So why not give it tribute? He wrote it and he sang on the. Why not take it? else is gonna play it she was long and tall she was the queen of them all last night everybody in the audience could be singing that talking about last night last night everybody would be having a good time thinking about last night. having a beer drinking hanging out enjoying petty I question all the choices I question all of them See, I would have gone break down American Girl. I'm just saying, I need to know, listen listen to her heart. Uh, don't do me like that. What about that? Into the Great Wide Open. I think he missed some opportunities. Uh, still, though, an outstanding time. You know, he had five albums and one solo after Into the Great Wide Open, which was his last you know, album that you'd heard of. He did five albums after that, so I guess he felt he had to play some songs off of those that... I mean, you really got to be a big fan. But, you know, everybody was there. It was like just waiting for Run Down a Dream and I Won't Back Down and American Girl, you know. But he played for two hours, which was pretty good. And then afterwards, we went to the bar downstairs. Uh, there's a bar right next to the Prudential. There's three bars. It's really nice down there. And uh, had another great time. Then we did shots and everything. It was really fun. You could drink out in the street there. They don't want you to do it, but they don't bother you. And it was like a really great night. So it was like a super fun time. And then we knew we all had to go back and do it all again the next day. What could be better? Which we did. So I was the first one in the uh, suite that day. I, I like to come early. I took a couple pictures of myself in the suite alone like I'm Gatsby. Like, the, you know, this is my subjects, you know, whatever. Uh, 
So they had some guy come on before seven o'clock, and then they had Tears for Fears come on. And boy, those guys! They opened with "Everybody Wants to Rule the World," then did "Sowing the Seeds of Love," which is one of the best songs ever. I, I love that song. And then they had nowhere else to go, so they sucked. I don't know how you open with your two hit songs and then be like, "No, we're awesome. We can." I guess that's what you do when you're an opener. You just apparently don't give a shit. It was kind of weird. Uh, so then Hall and Oates come on. So they stunk i i just think they were really bad and they had a horrible set list there's they did they opened with family man went to man eater which is fine then out then out of touch say it isn't so i like all the songs then then the rest of the concert all bad songs you've lost that love and feeling couldn't care less one-on-one slow she's gone sarah smile isn't a star i can't go for that that's how they ended before the encore i think wow i was like this concert sucks then for the encore they open with rich girl then they do kisses on my list private eyes and they end with you make my dreams come true and what i realized from hall and oats is that uh i don't know what i'm complaining about they do suck yeah that's the problem I've forgotten that they actually suck. I guess I liked them maybe, but I remember I remember my gay friend who wasn't gay at the time in 1980, the summer of 1981, when I was able to drive, we were driving in my Mercury Montego with just an AM radio and uh, Kisses on My List or Private Eyes came on and he was laughing, and that was a hit. And he was laughing at my AM radio and the fact that I was listening to this. There wasn't much choice, but that, that I liked the song. And he was a homosexual. So that's not a good sign. And it wasn't until this concert that I realized, um, you know, maybe he's got something there. They actually do so. But, again, I have a better set list that they could have done now now, they had six albums after Big Bam Boom, which was, like, huge for them. You know, that was the big one they had. Um, which they had a lot of songs, and they didn't do enough out of that. They just did out of touch out of that. Uh, first of all, they did not do Did It In A Minute, which is the only one I was waiting for and excited about because it kind of rocks, and I only like it because of the SCTV version, which I, I can't seem to find. Remember, we've talked about this, and we played it. I can't find it anymore. They did a version of Did It, which is why I liked Hall & Oates. They were goddamn on SCTV, our favorite show. They were on an episode of the Sammy Maudlin show, Hall and & Oates, and I was like, these guys are the greatest because they have an amazing sense of humor. They were in the, the skit. Not only were they on the Sammy Maudlin show, they performed on the Sammy Maudlin show. Then they did the sketch Chariots of Eggs uh, with uh, Andrea Martin and Catherine O'Hara and they're on with the cast. I mean, how great are these guys? So they did did it in a minute. It's an amazing version that opens with G.E. Smith. Much cool. Like this is the this is the album version, which is uh, just okay. If I used to play it on the piano as a kid, but it's still kind of gay. Well, I don't even think Scotty would like this. This keyboard's kind of making a little, you know. But I used to play this on the piano. I used to drive my mother crazy. 
it's not horrible after, but the, uh, the, 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 not the bridge, but whatever part comes after is, it's some people say that part is horrible. And maybe that's why they don't. But the weird part is they, uh, they play it, they played it in, in Pittsburgh for some reason two days before. I saw all the set lists. And for some reason they played it in Pittsburgh and they played it in Orlando, but they would not play it in the tri-state area or in Toronto. I don't know what happened. Meanwhile, that's the only song I was waiting for, and I knew they played it fourth, and I didn't know what the set list was going to be, so I had my camera out waiting so I could play it for you guys, and it never came. Like, here's the version from Miami, I think. The people are clapping for the Private Eyes album? What the? Yeah. So Not the same Tom Petty crowd, I think. Opening that's cool. The funny thing is that version sucks too. So I think I would have been disappointed. I finally found the right version that they did on SCTV, but I guess it all had to do with GE Smith. But the funny thing is, if you watch live from Daryl's house, they have a guitar player who can handle this. But um, the 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 best version is is this one. I mean, this is rocking. You know, it's cool. And this was the SCTV one. So of course I love it. It's a little rocket. They got the guitar coming up. And then you think it's going to be a cool song, but not so much. But it's still better, that guitar. At least it gives you something, you know? Dave Juskow likes Arena 80s rock. And I needed this. And all I got was private eyes and kisses on my list. Now, now. I love this version. Again, it probably has something to do with SCTV, but... Oh, this part ruins the entire song. They should just cut this part out and figure out something else. That's the best version I could find, but they didn't do that at all, so I hated the concert. And Kevin Brennan came, comedian Kevin Brennan, and his wife came, and I just kept going. I don't even know whether they had a good time or not. I couldn't tell. Kevin's so funny. We've been to concerts before, which is why I invited him to Tom Petty at first because we had seen Tom Petty before. If you can believe it, those of you who know Kevin and know the podcast, can you believe we 
we used to go to concerts together. You know, we've been close for a long time. And uh, and he was like, but my wife loves Hall and Oates. So, he, you know, he took his wife, which was very nice. You know, something you don't picture, you know, Kevin Brennan doing. Uh, he completely did it for his wife. And I felt horrible because I just kept going. to I'm like, this is horrible. This is horrible. But maybe they were having a good time. I guess I don't know what I was expecting from Hall and Oates. And after they didn't play, did it in a minute. I just I guess I got upset, which is ridiculous. Only because I think, again, there were things you could play that would be better. Uh, you know, you play she. This is the thing I had. She's gone. Rich girl kiss. I'm like, I know you got to play that. You make my dreams come true. Everybody's waiting for that. What about that? Every time you go away song. Remember that one that was um, more famous by that guy, uh, Paul something or other. But you know, why not that one? Why not take that one? Um, what about Method of Modern Love from Big Bam Boom? Or, uh, or one of my favorites, actually, Some Things Are Better Left Unsaid, which I actually really like, which uh, was also off the Big Bam Boom album. And what about some of Daryl Hall's solo stuff? This one, I mean, I'm just saying, if you're in an arena and you're putting on a concert and you got to play Kisses on My List, then why not play this one? I guess I like the ones with a little bit more guitar. This could fill up an arena, you know You know what I'm saying? Still pretty gay. best song but i still say it's better than a lot of the stuff they were playing and it kind of rocks and it's very arena-y and so the thing is if you're gonna play you know oats is gonna be like yeah i, I don't think we should play your solo stuff it's all in oats and and then you know Daryl hall should be like shut up oats what do you know meanwhile um oats had a song they could have done his song I, it was called the all good people could have played that one if you wanted to I don't have a copy because no one cares, but it's not horrible. Could have just played that one, I guess. Uh, what about um, uh, this one from uh, Rock and Soul? Many people would be like, "Woo!" I guess. are more suited for an arena. Afternoon in the whole room, they're about to let you go. And the lock 
back in, I guess I was in college when this came out. This girl whose father owned Volvo, she had a sweet magic car, you know, with a with a moon roof. We called it the moon roof. And we would, <laughs> we would, yeah, I'm just going to tell you, we would blast this song. And me, my friend Claudia, and Tina, we would just uh, drive around. <laughs> oh, my God, we're so white. We're like, woo, it's adult education. All the notes, oh, my God. Hey, don't tell anybody, all right, that that happened. Oh, my God. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right thing to play. But I will tell you this. This is what I'm uh, waiting for now. This is so weird. When I was going over the stuff, and I'm like, maybe we should take a look at some of his solo stuff because I like that Dreamtime song, and I remember it so well. And I just used to play it over and over again uh, when it had come out in its day. (laughs) Sorry. Um, There's another song on that album, and it is the strangest thing. I cannot even believe it. For the past... Two years, maybe two years, I've been singing this song and I had no idea what it was. And I've been looking for it online for two years. I can't believe this was the song. I I can't. I I thought it was a song from the 70s. I thought it was Peter Frampton. Then I thought maybe it was. I thought you'll see why I thought it was Peter Frampton. Uh, Then I thought maybe it was Alice Cooper. I. I swear to God, I knew the beginning part, and I was singing it. I tried to even put in, da da da. What's the song that goes da da da, da da? You know, uh, I really thought it was from the seventies, and I think that's why I guess I liked it so much. It really had a a kind of a nostalgic feel to it, and I swear, I think if you did this uh, on stage, I, I think the audience would go crazy. It's a really good song. See why I thought it was Peter Frampton or 70s at least. I can't believe this was the one I was thinking of. I was so embarrassed. This is a good arena rock song, you know, kind of like a power ballad that would have worked in concert that, that, you know, if you're going to play songs people don't remember or know, why not this one? It's, um, it's kind of good. Or, 
Am I just, have I just, I, listen, I was the one playing adult education out the moonroof, uh, so it's hard to say, and, you know, I like show tunes, so maybe, maybe that's an issue, I don't know. I know, I'm doing cheap tricks, but you know what I'm doing. That is Frampton who does that, right? Meow. Meow. <laughs> what am I doing? My voice is shot. Okay, so oh, so, oh, so get this, right? So we go downstairs again. We're like going to do the same thing. We're still having a great time again. We go back down to the bar, and I was not happy with the concert, as you know. We go to the bar, and that DJ must just whoever's working there. Must know where everybody's there for. I mean, I guess they're all there from the concert. I can't imagine that place gets crowded in downtown Newark when there's not a show or a Devil's Game. And they were playing Hall & Oates song, and everybody just started singing. And then it was much more fun than the concerts, what the concert should have been. Everybody was just singing and having a good time. We were dancing with people we didn't know. It was amazing. You know, except for the two black guys. The only two black guys in Newark... They were just sitting at the bar doing nothing. Of course, I got into an altercation with the only black guy sitting at the bar. He was like, I was putting my glass in the bar, and he kept moving. I'm like, I'm not finished with that one. I mean, it's a classic story, but it's just it's just kind of funny. Like, like it's all white people in a Newark bar, which is never, ever going to happen again. And, of course, uh, you know, I had one problem with the, the one black guy. <laughs> it's like, I was like almost mad at myself that that happened, but... Uh, but boy, boy, it was a great time, and then and then they just started playing anything, you know, Journey, uh, Bon Jovi. Everybody was just singing along, and it, what a fun place that was! It was perfect. It was all people, different ages, different. Lots of people, you know, forties, fifties, but then there was definitely you know young thirties or whatever. Fun time, fun time. Then we just had to catch our train at like one in the morning. It was two great nights, but took its toll. Definitely had the tickle in the throat Monday. Um, Runny Nose Tuesday that I'm trying to get over today, so it's a, a, a big 48-hour real quick cold. But I'll tell you, when I drink like that, um, I've been getting those kind of colds. You know, I, uh, you, know you, you push yourself. You definitely, your immune system's down. And I always catch something that's bad. It's like something, if I got the part in Tootsie, I would not be able to do. I wouldn't be able to do it. I, I, I couldn't possibly drink and... I don't think any of those actors, well, probably some of them can. We always talk about that time all the time. Like, you know, you see Billy Joel smoking, you know, and he's meanwhile, you know, got two shows. I don't know. I'm just unlucky that my throat um, bothers me after a drink. So kind of screwed in that sense, but maybe uh, I'll be able to work it out. I don't know. Anyway, so Sunday morning, I uh, I tune into, I don't know if you heard about it, it was the American Film Institute's tribute and award winner to Diane Keaton. Um, so I taped it, and I watched it Sunday morning, and it was great. It was 90 minutes, and it was great. Um, so I recorded some stuff right off the TV uh, just to show you guys because Steve Martin and Martin Short were her, I guess her closest friends. They were sitting right next to her. They all did uh, Father of Bride together. And they came out and did the opening, and it, I was hungover. It was like 9 in the morning on Sunday, hungover from two nights of very heavy drinking, and it made me laugh out loud three times. Um, I'm going to play it for you. 
Hopefully you'll be able to hear it okay. Thank you so much. And I'm sure they'll boost that applause in post. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. I'm Mark and I'm Steve Martin. <laughs> funny We're here tonight to honor actress, director, and climate change denier, Diane Keaton. <laughs> you know, there are so many talented people here tonight, and it's amazing that all of them are right here on this stage right now. <laughs> Diane, what a thrill tonight must be <laughs> for you. Short. Now, I remember Diane. when I got my AFI. It feels like it was only five years from now. <laughs> Diane, we are so honored. We would have done anything to be here tonight, except, of course, prepare. <laughs> Diane makes being an actress look easy. Wait, I misread that. Even for an actress, Diane is easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so... You know, Marty, I asked Diane once why she was so kind to everyone, and she explained that being a nice person doesn't cost you anything, whereas giving to charity does. <laughs> When Diane landed the role of Kay Adams, Michael Corleone's girlfriend of The Godfather, nobody... You forgot about that, right? The goddamn Godfather. May I say nobody was more surprised than Diane because she had gone in to read for the part of Clemenza. And you know, Marty, at the age of 55, Diane did a full frontal nude scene in Something's Gotta Give. Yes. <laughs> But you know what? That's a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure you're all looking at this piano and thinking, well, at least it's not a banjo. <laughs> Shall we? Shall we? Yeah, yeah let's go. Uh, that's the end. Then they're all trying to get on the piano. It's really funny. Uh, you, you gotta love it because they're giving her shit and they're kind of roasting her. And you can't do that with a lot of people. Like, you know, I guarantee that didn't happen with when Harrison Ford won the American Film Institute. You know, it's all serious. So that's why this one was terrific. Uh, so good that I actually um, recorded the next part when they're on the piano as well. I, I wasn't going to. And then I was listening to it. And I'm like, no, actually, this is really funny, too. You know, Marty... I'd like to say something about Diane that's just off the top of my head. Nothing planned, just the way I feel about her. Shh. Those are my lines. <laughs> Diane has had an amazing career. But speaking critically, I have to say, if you take out the three Godfather movies, Annie Hall, Manhattan, Reds, Radio Days, both Father of the Bride movies, and Something's Gotta Give, there's really not much there. You know, Marty, 1980, Diane published a photography book called Reservations, and it consisted entirely of photos of hotel lobbies. And Marty, I used to read that book every night in bed. And then I discovered Ambient. You know, Marty, earlier tonight, 
I was recounting some of the things we love about Diane. <sighs> like how she'll watch the Save the Children commercials and just laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> and I love how she'll shake your hand and then wait a full two seconds before Purelling. <laughs> you know what I love about Diane, Marty? What's that, Steve? The way she is able to avoid eye contact with all the people walking toward their coach seat. I love how she's never afraid to play the race card. Yeah. And also, I love that she is an activist. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just last week, she called the head of NBC, insisting they cancel the return of Will and Grace because, and I quote, that shit taint normal. But I love it how the supermarket She'll launch a shopping cart right into the side of someone's car. Yeah. <laughs> and I also love, Marty, that Diane is such a great mom. And you can tell that from her children. They're so polite. Yes. Mr. Martin, would you like something to drink? Mr. Martin, could you hand this note to the police? <laughs> Miss Keaton, in the world of all my highfalutin friends, your name has always been the hippest and the coolest to drop. Diane, we adore you and are honored to be a part of this remarkable evening. And here's a little... Well, and then they sing a song. But it, it is interesting, you know, she she must be a lot of fun. You can't have uh, not just, you know, dated Al Pacino. I mean, dated all these guys. You're talking about Al Pacino. You can't have dated Woody Allen, been in all of his movies then be friends with Steve Martin and Martin Short. If, if you're not a fun girl, and back in her day, she must have been, like, extra fun. You know what I mean? I mean, goddamn. Um, how about her? And, you know, we love her because she's really, really great in, you know, all those Woody Allen movies and, and the comedies and everything. But So then the best part of the show, you know, they're going and she's talking, and we know that she's pretty cool, and, you know, she's her own person and all that stuff, but... The best part is Woody Allen shows up. As a kid, I was wondering the whole time they said he was, they said, and Woody Allen come up and they kept showing him on the screen. I thought for sure he was just going to give a video. He was there live in person. He had to come. He knew he had to come. They're still really close. And the, and it was amazing. And I have the footage and you're not going to hear it anywhere else. And it, it's totally worth it. I had to play it for you guys. It's so good. What a relationship they have. He just butchers her. And it's great, and it's like that movie I told you about, Wild Man Blues, with him and his you know, wife, Soon Year, they, they get along because they just butcher each other. It's just like all of us. It's just like me and Artie and, and Atel, and we just all love butchering each other, and that's when you know you're really close, and you can take it, you know? And, and for Woody Allen to, to do that, I'll tell you, Woody Allen was so good, even though he's just still so... Is, is he going to say it? Is he going to get a punchline in? Because he's so slow. Um... I, I would be surprised if he didn't want to, like, do it again. God, I killed out there. I should uh, go back into stand-up comedy. I mean, uh, this is really good stuff, and it's, it's great. Ladies and gentlemen, Woody Allen. Oh, they're standing for him. Because why, why wouldn't you? It's the American Film Institute. <laughs> 
you gotta stand. No matter what all the other nonsense, you have to stand. He's a living film legend. A long way, Diana and I. Let me, let me, I don't know how to describe her to you, actually. Um, You're probably familiar with the fictional movie character, Eve Harrington. This is not to suggest <laughs> that the, the uh, movie uh, all about Eve is what he was talking about. Eve Harrington is a uh, you know kind of a ruthless girl that wants to move up the ladder in acting. That Diane, uh, when I met her, was ruthlessly ambitious. <laughs> but she did make an interesting Freudian slip. She, uh, when we started going out, she meant to refer to me as a talented young director. Uh, but instead, uh, she called me a stepping stone. <laughs> so it was a red flag. She, she came from a real conservative uh, Republican area of California. I, I can't remember exactly where it was. Yeah, because it's funny. Uh, she's talking about how she actually had a Grammy Hall, and uh, you know that that scene from Annie Hall is actually based on fact. When you know her, she says it. I didn't tape it. Uh, yeah, my grandmother met him, and he was just. She was just like, "Are you still dating that Jew? You still dating that short Jew?" And they remember they put that scene in the movie. It's good. Dynamite ham. Dynamite ham. I I keep thinking of um, of Newport Beach, but it was it was one of those real right-wing Orange County, you know, where Keaton lived, if you helped a blind person across the street, they accused you of socialism. <laughs> and here is this beautiful girl in, in New York City, a young, beautiful girl, and Keaton was never a conventional her beauty is not conventional. Uh, yeah, and by conventional, <clears throat> I mean pleasing to the eye. <laughs> she dresses, as you know, to hide her sexuality and, and, and always has dressed to hide. And, and yeah, she has done a great job because it's never emerged over years. She, she, she's... Um, she, but but she's a she's a a beautiful girl, and and um, and she's never she's never succumbed to any face work or anything or any any. She's very uncompromising. She she prefers to look old. <laughs> you know I, the way she would dress. I always used to say that Keaton dressed like the woman in Streetcar Named Desire who comes to take Blanche to the institution. <laughs> and over the years, we've remained very friendly. We walk the streets uh, and talk, talk about movies. She's, she, her love life, she's <clears throat> been involved romantically with, with uh, a half dozen of the most gifted, charismatic, attractive men in Hollywood and it's very interesting because every one of them has dumped her you know? and we discuss that we discuss her love life we discuss 
our film career, we discuss just general stuff. Life, death, we're friends, you know. She's always had a mortal fear of death. Um, and I tell her there's nothing to worry about because if you've ever had a colonoscopy, <clears throat> they, they give you an injection and you're out and it's black and peaceful and nice and it's great. And, and, and so death is like a colonoscopy. The, uh, the, the problem is that life is like the prep day. That's great stuff, right? Yeah, she's a wonderful writer, and I didn't know um, many things till I read her books. I didn't know, for instance, that she loved me as much as she loved me. I, I didn't know she was bulimic. I, you know, these things came out in the book. I, we'd have dinner, she'd tell me that she loved me, and then she'd throw up. And, and I would be taking her to these high-end restaurants, you know, $400 for dinner, and if I knew she was throwing them up, you know, could have taken her to Pizza Hut and saved the fortune. This is so great because, you know, hearing them talk like this, this can like like the... I, I didn't know she loved... I mean, I don't know. There's something about it. If you're a fan like we are, uh, it's exciting. Even hearing him mention the word Pizza Hut is entertaining for me. I don't know why. It continues. I love to tease her. She's... From the minute I met her, she was a great, great inspiration to me. She's... Much of what I've accomplished in my life, I owe for sure to her. She's... I've seen life through her eyes. Really, you know, astonishing. This is a woman who is great at everything she does. Actress, writer, photographer, philatrix, director, Diane Keaton, the winner of the 45th was the end of the butchering, but, uh... AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. The AFI tribute to Diane Keaton with Woody Allen, Sarah Silverman, Reese Witherspoon, Emma Stone. You know, I love that music. And if there's a playing, it had to be you. She definitely has a theme. And then he says, uh, he whispers in your ear, listen to this, we can hear it. He says, should I put it right on eBay for you? Uh, the statue. Uh, I loved that. I'm so, I wanted to share it with you because I don't know whether it'll be on... Uh, YouTube or anything, or it certainly wasn't yet. Uh, so I just recorded it right off the TV, and I just loved it. I mean, when do you get to see Woody Allen do something like that? Never. never. We'll never, ever get to see that again, you know? Like, we weren't alive when he was doing stand-up, and even when he was doing stand-up, he's not going to, like, butcher one of his... You know, he's an odd guy. We assume he has no friends. Here's somebody he actually is friends with and has slept with, and he's butchering. It's like... Like, me and Rachel do that, but Rachel and I haven't slept together, so it's not the same. That's what makes it even better. 
they used to heavily date and they've had a real past and he's directed her into you know oscar winning performances and and to just they're, they're obviously very close that he's able to butcher her like that and say like uh you know she she just likes looking old i mean that that's really great stuff and uh you know we all enjoy roasts and and there it was at the highest level of uh the highest level of of good writing and uh, and of taste and and still you know uh putting your don rickles you know giving it to you and in really enjoying the moment and if, if you know if you see it on tv diane keaton was laughing through the whole thing and and she's obviously got to be a great sport but that just made me happy. I couldn't believe Woody Allen was in. I'm so glad I taped it. And um, I guess I kind of knew it would be great because she's just got such a great body of work. Um, but, yeah, she's so sexy and looking for Mr. Goodbar. I never think of her really as sexy, but she's sexy in that. She reminds me of somebody. I don't know. She's just sexy. That was the sexiest thing. I mean, I know it's supposed to be a sexy role, but just her, the way she just talks in it is, uh, I don't know, something about it turns me on it's probably the only thing because otherwise she really doesn't do it for me you know and because mostly because like Woody Allen said the way she dresses she hides her sexuality and that's what made her so interesting she was even talking about the clothes that she you know for Annie Hall that they the producer just let her go shopping and uh, why don't you pick out what you think you should wear can you imagine her coming I I don't know if I'd be that forward thinking I I think I'd pretty I, I don't know if I could be that cool and just be like I'd be like no no, you are not wearing a pantsuit and a tie. No, no, you don't get this at all. I probably would have fired her. This is why I'm not uh, successful. I don't know. I loved it. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, you know, we got the uh, stupid Mike Bichetti roast. You know, it's never going to be as good as that. I haven't slept with Mike Buschetti, so I don't see how that could be funny. I do love Irene. So I wish she could have joined us today. Uh, what are you going to do? And uh, I don't know. That's pretty much all I think I got coming up. I uh, My July is pretty free just to do the podcast. And uh, August, I got a couple of gigs. And we'll talk about that. And then uh, I don't know. Next week, we'll see uh, what happens. I think I want to end with this today. Why not? You know, why not? I don't know. I like this song. I mean, listen. If I'm talking about the Tonys and Dear Evan Hansen, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die if he doesn't win. I'm going to die if he doesn't win. Then I don't really have a problem playing Daryl Hall's Foolish Pride. That was my outro today, right? I mean, how can I, you know, I'm like, oh, this is it's too gay. I can't handle it. Uh, yeah, I don't think I got anything to worry about. But uh, I don't know. Going into July, we're going into the heavy summer. And uh, hopefully we'll got some uh, good stuff for you. We'll get a guest next week, maybe. Do a little something. Uh, have some conversation, some late night talking conversation. This has been the Dave Juskow Podcast. I hope you're having a terrific summer, which just started yesterday. I hope you have to continue a terrific summer. I think it's going to be a nice, cool, beautiful one because it's rained and disgusting all in June. And sometimes when that happens, it becomes a nice, pleasant summer for everyone that we all deserve and enjoy. And I'll see you next week right here 
on the Dave Jusco Show. We'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>